Our amazing guest today is Andrea Wachter. She is a psychotherapist, amazing meditation teacher. Your meditations are beautiful. And I'll put the links in the show notes for people to access. And you're also an author as well. You've written books on these important topics, the topics that you've dedicated your life to helping people with. Helping people with body image issues, with disordered eating, with anxiety. Andrea, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. And I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited too. It's great. What brought you to this point in your life where you are today, where you're impacting people all over the world and helping them in particular with these really important issues of body image, disordered eating and anxiety? Where did it start for you? Well, very early on, I I feel like I was kind of born a sensitive breed. I call it sensitive breed because some of us are just more sensitive than others. And so my earliest memories are just being very worried about what people thought and very worried about my body and just anxious at, at my earliest memories, really. And things that wouldn't seem to shake my siblings took me down. Um, Mm. My mom could scold us and my siblings didn't seem to care. And I was like under the table with the dog, you know, (laughs) trying to get me out of here. So when I was young, young, really young, I didn't have access to ways to soothe myself and try to get out of my thoughts until I was older, that I had uh, drugs and alcohol, I had food, I had... We didn't have social media back then, but just body obsession. And so I started pretty young. I started pretty young abusing drugs and alcohol and down the path of disordered eating and then a full-blown eating disorder. And all of that was laced with anxiety and depression at times too. So I really battled for many, many years. On the outside, you would have thought, I was a kid going to school and then I was a young woman going to college and then I had summer jobs and I was the life of the party and you would have thought that I was fine. And on the inside, I was tortured by my thoughts and had this secret life of addiction and an eating disorder that really colored a lot of my years. Of course, I have some pleasurable memories too, but it was really uh, the eating disorder, I think, that took me down the lowest. It sounds like that must have been a really low point or a really dark place that you were in. How mm-hmm. did you get yourself out of that situation? I mean, it's, I'm sure it's not one quick little fix, you know. I'm sure it was a whole journey and a whole process. But what were some of the things that helped you to start moving things in a different direction? Yes, it was definitely a process, um, getting help, getting therapy, getting group help. So I realized I wasn't alone. There wasn't even really uh, books on eating disorders that much back then. I'm making myself sound like I'm 90, but there really wasn't a lot available for help. And I kept it a secret so much that nobody even really knew that I was struggling. People saw me dieting and binging and my body size changing drastically many, 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 many times. So people saw that. But um, I I originally got help, I got therapy. And I started addressing the drugs and alcohol first. 
I just decided to stop and I got a lot of help to stop. And eventually that took. And then the eating disorder and the body image issues and the anxiety were just over time a process of getting help, learning how to challenge my thoughts, learning how to deal with my emotions, learning how to speak my truth in relationships, um, learning how to speak to myself kindly. It was just this ongoing process, learning how to feed myself in a way that wasn't restrictive or limitless. And it was just this ongoing process of of unlearning a lot and then learning a lot. Wow, yes. As you, you kept using that word learning, it's like you were teaching yourself or reteaching yourself so many different behaviors or perspectives or ways of treating yourself. So it it seems like there were many things, but if you boil it all down, does it all stem from one place? You know, the disordered eating, the the use of drugs and alcohol. Was there sort of one core thing that when you healed that everything helped or were they separate issues? That's a great question. I think the core thing was my thinking. The way that I was thinking led to anxiety, led to body hatred, led to diet mentality and chaotic responses with food, although it's natural to have a chaotic response if you're restricting all the time. But the way that I was thinking was what was really torturing me. So learning how to question my thoughts was life-changing. Learning that I am not my thoughts, learning how to be present and quiet my mind, that was really the core of all of the issues. Wow. In the process of doing this, because that can feel almost like such a our mind can be constantly talking at us sometimes it's even hard to view our mind as a separate thing or 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 see what's real and what's stories that we're telling ourselves or beliefs that we could change so did you implement any techniques like things maybe that you practice daily to bit by bit by bit reprogram your mind I think two things really stand out. One was learning about mindfulness. Now mindfulness is kind of a household word, but back then I somebody I'd gone on a date with somebody and he asked if we could go to a, a lecture or like a talk on presence. And I thought, like presence, like gifts? You know, I didn't really even know what that meant. And he was like, No, presence, like being present and I thought, well, I have like almost zero experience with that. So sure, I'll go to this talk and learning about how to be present, how to be in present moment reality, to notice what I'm seeing, to notice what I'm touching, to notice my body breathing and to see that the mind is not real. I can't pull those thoughts out and hold them or put them in my pocket or show them to you. They're just, they feel real, but they're not real. So that was a huge turning point to realize that my thoughts are not real and that I don't have to believe every thought that pops up on this mental screen. Along with that, I learned about a a tool called The Work. Do you know about The Work from Byron Katie? It rings a bell, but tell me more. She's an author and a, a teacher, a spiritual teacher, and she was at the bottom of her barrel. She was alcoholic. She had an eating disorder. She was suicidal. I believe she was in a treatment center. She was really like towards the end. And these questions came to her, very simple questions, 
but profound. And they are about questioning your thoughts. They are the work, which she calls her process the work because she says it does take work to take Mm. one thought at a time. Like if I have a thought that is causing me anxiety or causing me to hate my body, I take that thought. She has us write it down, but you can also just think of what it is and do her little process, which is four questions you ask yourself and what she calls a turnaround. And that process, the work was and is life-changing. So that, wow. that has been profound. And now, you know, of course, I teach others. I have one of my lessons in one of my anxiety relief classes is devoted to the work because it is so powerful. Are those questions something that you're able to share publicly? Totally. I could tell you the questions. You could check out her website. She offers them for free. There's, they're, they're so accessible for people. So you take a thought, whatever the thought is. We could even do it with a thought if you want. And you yeah. ask yourself, is that true? Is that thought true? So if I think, um, what's a stress-causing thought? Uh, I'm never going to amount to anything or I'm, I'm not okay. Maybe I'll just take something simple like that. Like I'm not okay. I would ask myself the first question in the work, is that true? And she asks you to do yes or no for the first question. So is it true that I'm not okay? So let's say I'm thinking that I'm thinking and feeling I'm not okay. And I'm feeling terrible about myself and my body's filled with anxiety. I'm not okay. Is that true? And then I would really go inside. Is that true? Well, I'm sitting here in a chair, I'm talking to you, the heat's on, I'm safe. Like, well, no, right now I, I think I am okay. So is that true? No. Or maybe someone would be so tied to that belief that they would say, yes, it is true. That's okay. You don't have to say yeah. no to the first question. Then the second question is, are you absolutely sure? Are you absolutely certain? She gives you another chance to question that thought. But if I think right now, no, it's not true. I I am okay right now. I'm just sitting in a chair. I'm I'm okay. Then the third question is, how do you feel when you believe that thought? Mm. So you really tune inside this thought. I'm not okay. How do I feel? I feel terrible. I feel anxious. I feel alone. I feel, and anybody could do this with any thought that pops up that causes them stress. So how do I feel when I believe that thought? You write that down or you really think about that. And then the fourth question is, who would you be without that thought? Now, this fourth question really can be a game changer, but it also can take some meditative thinking sometimes because sometimes we can be so glued to a thought that I could ask myself sometimes, who would I be without that thought? And that thought can feel so true and so sticky that I have to ask myself like, 20 times before I can really get a sense of who would I be without the thought that I'm not okay and I try to feel that who would I be without well without that thought I'd be just sitting here in a chair looking at you feeling my hands on my lap like it really and and I don't know where it would take each person each time you do this process it would take you someplace different but to really meditate on those questions And then the last part is what she calls a turnaround, where you take the original thought and you flip it around and see how that feels, see if those could be helpful as well. So I'm not okay, I am okay. And then what is the evidence of that? 
or my thoughts are not okay. She'll sometimes have you insert in your, my thoughts are not okay. Well, that mm. feels true. So that's kind of a little wow. summary of the work, but it's very powerful to question our thoughts. That is beautiful. And I've done practices in the past where perhaps you address, okay, so what's a limiting belief? What's something that you believe, a story that you're telling yourself that's holding you in the same place or that's making you feel paralyzed by fear or you, you don't feel like you're worthy or good enough or this kind of thing. And then the, the exercise is create a positive affirmation that basically takes that limiting belief and finds the opposite of it. And while that's good, I feel like those questions are a beautiful bridge to actually help walk you from one opposite to the other because as good as it is to create an affirmation that just says the opposite of what you were believing before, you know, there might come a thought in your mind that, well, that affirmation can't be true. It's a lie. You know, I've been exactly. saying this, 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 this. Now you're telling me to say not this, like the opposite of this. So that really helps the brain to get on board with the new belief. Yes, affirmations can be great, but if you don't believe them, they're just words. So it's really, exactly. it's like changing the, changing the sailboats on the water, but the water's toxic. You know, we have to change the water. We have to get that water to be clear and clean. And so we need to question our thoughts. And sometimes, like I said, they're really uh, more ground in their beliefs and it takes some time and it takes willingness to want peace, to want freedom more than to believe your thoughts. Uh, but yes, affirmations are a tool, but if we don't believe them, they're not really usually that helpful. Mm, fascinating. So I'm, I'm thinking of one thing that you mentioned when you were sharing your story about how a lot of these things that you were battling, um, if that's the right word to use, some you, you might not identify with oh, calling yeah. it that, but yeah, okay, <laughs> yes. you would, you would. So a lot of these things that you were battling with, it sounds like at the period of time when you were doing so, maybe it was, maybe there was less conversations going on about it, or it was less, um, or the tools to help people maybe were less accessible. Um, and it got me kind of thinking about the world that we live in today, the world of social media. Some people think social media is a good thing. Some people think it's a bad thing. A lot of people talk about how it's a bad thing. Kind of think that actually it's a neutral thing because on the one hand perhaps people are being blasted with so many perfected images the highlights of people's life and then the same thing the internet social media can also connect people more easily than ever to podcasts like this to tools to information to psychotherapists to meditation so everything is more accessible the good and the bad the speed at which our society has got access to the internet to social media it technology happens so fast all of a sudden within less than a decade we've got all of this in our faces in our energies every day and perhaps there's still a delay on what needs to come with that in terms of how people navigate their way through the internet. I think it's important. I think it's good that people are having more conversations about this kind of subject matter shouldn't be portrayed this way or 
Um, there should be more content that's more realistic. But that's all putting it in the hands of the creators. What I think would be great is if the individual consumer of this social media could have a toolkit, you know, so that when they're being bombarded with any kind of stuff that they're scrolling through, they themselves, wherever they may be, even offline stuff, horrible people, people who say things that hurt them, that they've got the right tools to be able to handle these emotions. Absolutely. And I agree with you that the internet is, and social media is kind of a mixed bag because it can be depleting, it can be addictive, it can be exhausting, it could be draining, and then it could be uplifting and inspiring and connecting. There's just, there's so Mm. many things about it. But like you said, it's how we're using it. I often talk about time killer versus spirit filler. Mm. So are you just killing time, scrolling, feeling terrible, feeling depleted? You haven't been outside, you haven't had fresh air, you haven't had water or nourishment, you're exhausted. Or are you listening to something that's lifting your spirits and it's a a moderate amount of time and you have the ability to shut down your gadgets and then go outside or be with someone real time or be with yourself. So how does it make you feel? If you feel like you're just scrolling and feeling zoned and checked out and like a time killer, or is it filling you up and feeding your spirit? That's how I look at it. Mm. And because it's this addictive thing that can almost put you in a trance, it goes back to what you were saying about when you're practicing being present, I feel like that is the answer to so many of these mental issues, whether it's spiraling down a scroll hole on social media or spiraling down Uh, you know, a catastrophizing thought process where you're expecting the worst and fearing all kinds of things or uh, disordered eating or criticizing our bodies or just feeling anxious about life. When we go present, wow, does it at least alleviate all of that stuff just a little bit or it gives us a, a lifeline where we can maybe detach ourselves from those thoughts and feelings. So do you have any techniques that you've found useful to help practice being in the present? Because sometimes when you're just so in the trance, it's hard to even remember that that's a thing that's possible. It's true. And being present doesn't always mean just sitting there being peaceful and happy. Someone might get off of their gadget and realize I'm filled with feelings, but being present gives you clarity to what you most need in that moment. So do I need food? Do I need a nap? Do I need to reach out for help? Do I need support? Do I need connection? Do I need fresh air? So being present enables you to kind of keep that channel clear. But when we're lost in addictive behaviors or uh, constant thinking patterns, then it's hard to tune in and see what we need. So one question I, I well, I really try to stay tuned into my body and my body tells me, my body, my gut, my intuition, I know now, I certainly didn't know back in the day, but I know if I'm doing something online and that feels like enough, (laughs) that feels like that's enough, sweetie, you know, that's enough time. I've been doing this, whatever, checking my email or answering questions in my classrooms or scrolling on something or watching something 
it's like there's this gut feeling. I know now that I need to, whatever mm-hmm. that is, go get a snack or go into the nature or shower or drink water or connect with someone or whatever it is, read a book offline, whatever yeah. it is. And so now not everybody has the luxury if you've got commitments, you've got a full-time job, you've got kids. Not, not everybody has that luxury of checking in all day long. But when you do, to stay as connected as you can to how it's feeling in your body. If you're so lost in the internet and you can't really connect yet to how it's feeling in your body because that's your usual mode, mm. how often would you think someone you care about or love or a young person should be doing this? Because it might feel fine to be playing a game for 20 minutes or half an hour. Would you want your child, and some people do, sadly, but how how often would you think it would be good for someone you love to be scrolling or playing a game or doing a whatever on a gadget? So sometimes we have to take it to what we would advise someone else we care about or someone young if we can't yet tune into our own needs. That was so beautiful. I feel like that whole segment of what you were saying was just brimming with treating yourself so kindly and lovingly. Even when you, you know, you you quoted yourself there by saying like, I think that's enough, sweetie. And it was just like a little indicator of, oh, wow, you know, that's how you talk to yourself. And I was talking about that on previous episodes um, with Panilla. She was in episode one and we're talking about how would you love a best friend or the perfect mother to speak to you? Like, how would you want to be spoken to? And yes. to speak to yourself like that, because at the end of the day, the most conversations we have are the conversations with ourselves. We're always yes. with us. Some <laughs> other people are not always with us, sadly, you know, but we can guarantee that we're with us. So that was so beautiful just to get a little insight into how you talk to yourself now and this idea of, yeah, if you're so detached from the habit of behavior, of treating yourself well, to look at external examples. How would I want this person who I do love and care about and and, and to kind of copy and paste how you'd treat someone else exactly. and start treating yourself that way? Exactly. When I was first learning how to eat I can't say it was intuitive because there was nothing intuitive about it. I had no idea back then how to feed my body. I just had been restricting or binging for so long. And people mm-hmm. would say, well, tune in and listen to your body. It was like, I, I was clueless. But I started asking myself, how would I feed someone else that I love who doesn't? The term I use now is diet or riot. Back then it was diet or binge, but I love rhymes. So I turned it to diet <laughs> or riot. And how would I feed someone else? And then I would start to get some kind of inkling. Well, I wouldn't just feed them fruit and send them off for the day. And I wouldn't just feed them salad. And I wouldn't just give them a box of cookies. Like I, I, I would get some kind of inkling of what is a loving, non-restrictive, respectful way to feed someone else. And then eventually I learned how to do it for myself. That is such a great approach because you're right. If there's restriction going on, or self-punishment of any kind going on, it's it's not coming from a place of love. We're not treating ourselves caringly or lovingly or how we would probably ever dream to treat anyone else. Although we're attempting to, because if we're restricting, we're only doing so because of the programming that tells us we're not okay. 
or if we're overeating or binging, we're only doing so because we're naturally responding to the restriction and trying to get some soothing. So everything we're doing is an attempt to meet a need. It's just some of them are not really effective. Interesting. Interesting. So that's where it can get kind of confusing. Yes. Yes. It's like when I was restricting and binging, I was doing my best to try to make myself feel better, but it didn't work. You know, it was just, they were sort of counterfeit need meters. And, but when I really learned what I was truly hungry for, what I truly needed, then my needs got met and I felt better afterwards. That's how you know it's a re- you're really meeting your needs is you, you feel good while you're doing it and you feel better afterwards. Although sometimes we do something and it doesn't feel good, like sometimes therapy's hard or sometimes you know, going to sleep when you'd rather scroll is hard, but you know it's good for you, it's right for you, it's loving, and then you feel better afterwards rather than worse. True. So on the topic, the very um, important topic of disordered eating and body image, you know, there might be people who don't identify with having an eating disorder, but there might be a very large number of people who don't like how their body looks or tear apart what they see in the mirror or get triggered by seeing somebody else comparing their body to them and then going down a spiral of I've got to start eating less or working out harder or you know looking for all kinds of extreme methods to change the way that they look and I, I know I've been there I I was there in my early 20s I hated everything that I saw in the mirror and even though my parents came from this background of nutrition and I'd seen them help so many people with their health and nutrition in a healthy, sustainable way, I wasn't listening to them at all. And I was just reaching for extreme things and not taking into consideration what actually might be best for my health. I don't know whether it's you know, connected to any age, but especially I felt in my early 20s, taking care of my health just wasn't a priority. But trying to fit in and trying to look a certain way and trying to identify as a certain person, that was all that I cared about. So when the priorities are so, I might say, warped, warped from being healthy at least, how does someone go from being in that place that I was in. Well, I, I had a, I found some techniques that I could always share, but I feel like you're the expert on this one. So how would you walk someone through that process if, if, if they're ready to change? Well, and I want to add, when you say there might be people here who don't like their bodies or hate their bodies or uh, are dissatisfied with their bodies, statistically, most people, certainly there are cultures that aren't programmed the way that we are, but most mm. cultures are programmed the way that we were raised. And you talk about your 20s having kind of that identity be the most important thing. I've worked with kids as young as six years old who already hate their bodies. I've wow. worked with people in their 80s who have, been, who have no memory of feeling comfortable or eating without guilt. Or, so it is such wow. an epidemic, body hatred. It's really mind-blowing. 
where to begin? I mean, for starters, I think we have to want peace. That has to be a goal of ours. We also have to begin questioning that there's something wrong with our bodies and start seeing that there's something wrong with the programming that's been telling us there's something wrong with our bodies. Hmm. Because people who hate their body or are dissatisfied with their body or don't like their body or certain body parts tend to really believe their thoughts. But the truth is being told that we're all supposed to look a certain way or that we're supposed to be flawless or that the people we compare ourselves to are happy or even look that way, that's the problem. The problem is the programming. And that programming is such a massive hypnotic spell that most people don't even know that they're under the spell. They just think there's something wrong with their bodies because they're under the spell. So beginning to question that and have the, I don't want to say courage because it's not, um, it's, it's not, let's see, what's the opposite of courage? It's not um, weak to hate your body. It's just the body's an innocent victim of the programming. So, yeah. But to have the, the courage, the strength, the renewed decision-making that we get to change our minds. We get to challenge our minds. Just like we may not believe there might be people that are um, homophobic or racist or uh, you know, believe all kinds of things that we don't believe. We say, no, I'm not saying yes to that. We can say no to body hatred, to perfectionism, to thinking that all bodies are supposed to look the same. Now, this is all easier said than done when you're programmed, but that's where it begins. Yes, it's almost like a, um, a hypnotic state or a programming that it, it is. we need to lift from ourselves. Yes, and how do we do that? We question our thoughts, we get support, we begin looking yeah. at more realistic images. We renew our vows that we want peace, that we're tired of walking around hating our bodies. We look at how much time we've been spending on body hatred and how much yeah. time in our lives we're missing. We, we make a decision that we want to work towards acceptance. There's such a big leap from body hatred to body love. I don't often expect my clients or students to make that leap. But to compassion, to acceptance, to questioning the comparing mind. Those are sort of the steps along the way. The thing you were talking about there about how much time is it taking, how much of our brain's energy and our yes. mental capacity is hating our bodies, draining from all of the other things that we could be spending our energy doing. Wow, you know, imagine how much energy we'd have for other things. And I remember that feeling because I just reached a point where I thought I'm so sick and tired of this consuming so much of my daily mind space. And that was when I decided to change my priorities from, you know, how can I change my body in a way that has no regard for my health and is just as extreme as possible to try and achieve some kind of unattainable thing. And I changed my focus to what if I decided to nourish my body and focus on making it feel as healthy as possible? Because I reached a point when I was depriving my body, I was getting, I broke out in boils in different parts of my body and they were so painful. Mm. And I was thinking, what's the, why is this happening? And apparently that can be a sort of 
sign that your body is under a lot of stress, very malnourished. Um, it, it was a big, like my body doesn't have a voice, but it was trying to talk to me and say, something's yes. up here. And when that happened, it was boiling I felt, over literally, and people's symptoms probably show up in different ways, but that was the way it showed up for me. And that was kind of a wake up call where I thought, Hmm, maybe just maybe actually considering what I'm putting in my body for not in a kind of like obsessive, making sure I get enough vitamins and protein and calories, you know, nothing extreme, restrictive, anything like that, but just deciding that I wanted to completely change my approach and prioritize something completely different. That I, I relate to what you were saying about changing the, the goal almost. Yes, and I too remember a turning point. It wasn't in my early years of healing from an eating disorder because if someone would have just said to me, well, change your thinking. I mean, it wasn't possible yeah, at that time. I had exactly. to just, each stage I had to, grow where I could as much as I could. But eventually there came a time where I was just so tired of spending so much of my precious time on this earth worrying yeah. about the size of my thighs or yeah. how I looked or comparing myself. I was just tired of it. And I, I made this vow to myself that I was going to approach food for the way I thought it would make me feel rather than the way I thought it would make me look. Yeah. And that was a really big shift. And it was scary because I'd never done that in a way that wasn't chaotic and rebellious or restrictive. And so, but it was, it was like a new, it was a do-over. I call it the biggest do-over of my life. And also I did the same thing with exercise. I went from obsessive running to, I don't even like running anymore. <laughs> what do I want to do? How do I want to move? How do I want to yeah. rest? Just, it was a real huge shift letting go of focusing on my body, my looks, my size, and just focusing on the way I spoke to myself and the way I treated myself. You mentioned there about how that change was scary. And I remember feeling that fear too. And your fear may have been different from my fear, but my fear kind of sounded like if I stop this controlling behavior, this depriving behavior, which has all been focused on to try and make myself look beautiful was kind of my, if I were to put it into words, although I'm letting go of the obsession, does that mean I just have to accept being ugly instead? And that was kind of a, that was what the fear was, but now being on the other side of it, wow, it was, it's the total opposite because I've never felt more beautiful and I'm not dissecting every part of my body. It's almost like I can look at the same body. There are things about my body today that back then that version of Lucy would be in such a negative mental state about it. I would rather feel good and have a good relationship with myself and be able to use my energy doing different things. It's true. And it's really up to each of us to learn how to treat our bodies and to try to shift from, I know what my body should look like and I'm going to eat and exercise in a way that will get me there or rebel from that and give up because I can't, mm. over to, I have no idea what my body's supposed to look like. I'm not in charge of that. Just like I'm not in charge of my foot size or my eye color. It's just like how I am born. I'm going to learn how to with help or with 
support or with a commitment, I'm going to learn how to feed myself lovingly, non-restrictively, respectfully, move my body in ways that I love, rest as much as possible without guilt, and then let my body be what it's meant to be and work on making peace with that, accepting that, even eventually loving that. A positive side effect of me nourishing my body more was that my desperate feeling cravings for sugary foods or salty foods kind of subdued. And I actually learned that when our body is satisfied, actually like it's finally getting the nourishment after years maybe of deprivation where then your body screams out saying, we still need nourishment, but we reach for the sugar when we start to get that nourishment, those receptors kind of chill out a little bit, which again, just speaking from my own experience, but I found that it was so much easier to be able to make more conscious decisions when my body wasn't in this state of nutritional starvation. Absolutely, I talk about a four-legged table, like having a stable table, and that we binge or we consistently chronically overeat because we're malnourished, we're, we're starving. We're, that's one of the reasons. But we also, the second leg of the table, we binge or chronically overeat because of our thinking, because our thinking is unkind and we need a break from it. Or, or we binge or chronically overeat because of our feelings. We have emotions that we don't know what to do with. Or because we're not satisfied or fulfilled or we need more sweetness in our lives or our self-talk needs to be sweeter. So there's all these different reasons why people struggle with eating. But being malnourished and not uh, satisfied with our eating experiences is definitely one of them. Wow. You mentioned that, you know, a lot of this has to come from the individual. What advice do you have for people where maybe someone that they love, someone that they really care about is struggling with any of the things that you've struggled with, whether it's drug and alcohol addictions, whether it's um, body image issues, extreme dieting, disordered eating, or just general anxiety, how can we support people in our lives when they're going through that? Well, compassionately, respectfully, the way that we would approach somebody that we care about with any topic, I would hope would be really respectfully and uh, a time, a timing, using timing that feels respectful. So not when they're on their way out the door to go to work or not when they're in the middle of eating or so if I was concerned, even if it's a child, I would say I would get help. I would say we need help, sweetie. It's not, you know, I see you struggling or if it's an adult, um, probably similar. I, are you open to some of my thoughts? I'm concerned. Not I'm concerned about the way you look. I'm concerned yeah. about your the, the patterns that I see. And um, I'm just concerned about are, if, you're, if you're okay. And I'm concerned about your... The, the chances are if somebody has disordered eating or an eating disorder, they're struggling with depression. They're struggling. They're not happy necessarily. So I'm concerned about that. Are you open to getting help? Are you open to talking about that? So in a way that's really open, gentle, and compassionate. Mm. And then at the end of the day, it, that's all we can really do, right? Right. It's up to each of us because even if you plant a seed, 
And you could even say, this is really hard to bring up. This is a really hard topic to bring up. I know this is a really delicate topic, but are you open to talking about it? And they might not be, but maybe in a month they will be. So just planting a seed sometimes can be helpful. And again, that's different if it's a child and we're in charge of their well-being. We need to get help, right? I remember once I had a dad say to me, you healed my daughter from an eating disorder and we never even came to see you. And I said, how come? How, how, and how on earth did I do that? And he said, well, I told her, I'm concerned about your eating. I see you um, restricting a lot. And then I see you taking a lot of food in your room at night and, and the food is gone. And so I'm concerned that there might be a problem or an eating disorder. And she said, I'm fine. And he said, well, unless I see you eating regularly and eating all different food groups and, and, and I see you treating your body well, we're going to have to go for help. And I found this nice lady. I talked to her once and she has an opening and she said, I don't want to go. And he said, well, I'd need to see you make those changes in order to not go. And she so didn't want to go to therapy that she, <laughs> she yeah. made the changes, but not everybody can make changes on their own. If it's yeah. got a life of its own and it's a really ingrained pattern. So sometimes we do need help and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's anything that is being normalized more and I think it's a good thing it's it being okay and it being more normal you know to get professional help with things that we struggle with I mean both my husband and I have sessions with a a hypnotherapist who we both really love working with and sometimes it's because we're struggling other times we just like to almost go as kind of like a you know mental check-in like just to keep things in a good place or help us to see our life see where we're at right now if there's been lots of changes whether positive or not so good you know to be able to review where we're at and I think it's really um, a positive thing you know it was very taboo in the past or like there was clearly something wrong with you and let's not tell the neighbors you know if you're seeing a therapist you know it was all kind of like that before and it's I think it's great that it's something that is there's less shame around it you know I think so I think so yeah well we don't have to wait till our car's broken down to go for a tune-up right we can take our you know our cars in so whether we're really struggling and we go we seek help or we're just we just want help or we just want support or we just want like a positive input or or tool like you're going to hypnotherapy that's that's great yeah it's another form of self-care really surely it is yes bringing it to to now to the kind of work that you're most passionate about the kind of work that you do on a on a daily basis to help people what what are the main things that you're doing at the moment well i'm mostly focusing on my courses i have audio courses and uh, my meditations mostly focusing on those i'm seeing less people one-on-one these days and really loving one thing I love about the courses and the meditations is that they can reach so many more people than I could reach in my little office. So mm. that's why I'm so passionate about them. But I have courses on anxiety relief and I have a course called Getting Over Overeating, although it's really about so much more than overeating because, mm. and, and not just overeating, chronic overeating, painful overeating, binge eating. That's really what it's about. But it's also about the diet riot cycle, the restrictive rebellious cycle with food and then I have a course for body image I call it making peace with the body you live in Mm, and so I have those those four courses up 
and I, I, they also have um, interactive classrooms. So any students that take the class in between each lesson, they can ask me a question. And so I have the honor of being able to answer their questions. So I do that. And then I have these f- lots of free meditations and talks. So that's really what I'm devoting a lot of my time to now is just helping more people than, than I could was reaching in my office. It, it's amazing how many tens of thousands of people that you're impacting through those courses and meditations. It's been such an honor and such a natural progression. Of I started out in my office. I live in Northern California, and, and I was doing sessions with people. And sometimes clients would say, oh, I wish I could take your voice home with me, or I wish, or I would do a guided meditation with them in the session. And they'd say, I wish I could listen to that during the week. And I say, well, if you want to hand me your iPhone, I could, you know, we could do it into the iPhone and you could take it home. And that's kind of how it started was me making little personalized meditations for clients in session and then deciding, oh, maybe I'll put one out in the world, you know? So it's, it was, I started making them in my closet, literally where it was (laughs) the most quiet on my iPhone. Exactly. (laughs) On my iPhone. So then I eventually came out of the closet and started making them in a studio. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been a progression. Incredible. Well, it's amazing the work that you're doing now. And you mentioned that you're an author. You've written books. What are your books about? Well, many years ago, my then business partner and I, we wrote a book called the Don't Diet, Live It Workbook. And that's really about breaking that diet riot cycle. And then years later, we wrote when I started getting six-year-old children in my practice who were hating their bodies, I thought this is insane. And I didn't have a lot of experience working with six-year-olds. So I was trying to find child therapists in town that could take them. And they said, no, I'm not going to do disordered eating or body image issues with a six-year-old. I have no experience. None of the other eating disorder therapists in town had experience with six-year-olds. And I kept thinking, I think I might be it. So I just tried to arm myself with all these tools for these six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids that I was getting who had body image disorders, I could even say, and were counting calories and hating their bodies and wouldn't go to school because they didn't want to get dressed like crazy, tragic. And so I just came up with little rhymes and little stories and little ways to help my clients and they were helping. So I thought, oh, I'm going to make this into a book. So that's a a children's body image book. It's called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, Breaking the I Feel Fat Spell. Because they would say, I feel fat. And I would say, fat's not a feeling. (laughs) So uh, that was my uh, children's book. And then in more recent years, I wrote a book called Getting Over Overeating. And it's, it was, they asked me to write it for teens. And so it is kind of a teen book, but other ages are using it. And that was the foundation for my online course called Getting Over Overeating. Amazing. It sounds like you've got so many valuable tools that can help so many people. So I'll make sure to put links in the show notes so that if anyone's listening and they would benefit from any of those things you mentioned, that they'll be able to access them there. Thank you. And I'm in the process of getting all my free meditations and talks onto YouTube now. I've been so sort of gun shy from all of that. So, (laughs) but um, everything I have is on Insight Timer, which is a meditation app. And I'm so, I love them. They've been, you know, they've had my stuff up for years and I, I love Insight Timer. But one of my students said, could you get your stuff somewhere in addition to Insight Timer? So people that don't have the app or don't have it yet could listen. And so a year 
or two later on. <laughs> I'm getting it on YouTube, so they'll be there too. Great. How exciting. Wow. Thank you. It's an honor. Andrea, thank you so much for, for this conversation. And I just would love to ask you, you know, if there's anything to add to what you've shared today, if there's anything that you feel like is still missing that needs to be shared or a, a message that you would have for anyone who's maybe in a place that you were at in the past, what would be something that you would want to share with them? It's so convincing sometimes and our thoughts can feel so real that it's almost impossible to think that they're not real. So if you're hating your body, if you're obsessed on your body, if you're lost with food, like you'd feel either obsessed about it or super controlling or out of control and you don't feel peace, it's so it can be so challenging to believe that there's another way that you could actually have peace that you could actually be present and think about things other than your body or other people's bodies or looks or food but it is possible there is help and it's it takes work of course it takes work to change our thoughts and our beliefs but even if it feels impossible and like you're lost in the brambles of food or body obsession there is help I was completely lost. And I even thinking about anxiety, I was thinking recently I used to have near constant butterflies in my stomach and then I'd get like little breaks and I and this is all like drug and alcohol free. So I used to try to use to get little breaks, but now it's like just me and I I now I, I and then I would get little breaks relief from that chemical cocktail of cortisol and adrenaline. And now it's like so much freedom and peace and presence and then sometimes I get anxious and I think of what I'm what thought came on or what situation or what thoughts about that situation and so I couldn't have believed that that was possible I couldn't have believed it was possible to eat cookies and then put the box away it wasn't possible for so long I couldn't have believed that I could tune inside and know what I need and it is now. Andrea, thank you so much again for this beautiful conversation. Thank you for everything that you've grown through and healed from to be able to now be in this place where not only are you feeling more stable, more healthy, more happy, more balanced, but you're then able to use that to help so many other people too. So thank you for all the work that you've done to get to where you are today and for the amazing impact you're making. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm just so grateful we could have this conversation. Me too. Thank you so much once again. That's a wrap.